scripture before Jim's message is uh, Hosea 6, verse 4. O Ephraim, what shall I do to you? O Judah, what shall I do to you? For your faithfulness is like a morning cloud, and like the early dew, it goes away. Where did Kathy go? There she is. It's good to have Kathy Oyen with us this morning. They're grand girls, and... Um, Probably 98% of you. How long ago was it that you and Dave moved? Whoa, 10 years in May. Okay, so maybe 90% of you uh, were here when Kathy and Dave were here. It sure is glad, uh, great always when good friends, Christian friends, they move away, but they come back to visit, you get to see them again. Um, at least for me, there's something comforting in Christianity to know that there's just Christians everywhere. There's a few sane people in the planet uh, in, in just about every city, and that's, uh, that's a wonderful thing. We're glad Kathy's here with us. I want to take a quick survey by show of hands. How many of you have not heard of a radio... It's not a radio program, but it's a, um, it's a part of Ryan Seacrest's radio program called Ryan's Roses. If you have not heard of Ryan's Roses, you're not familiar with Ryan's Roses. All right. <laughs> so for years, there's been this thing called Ryan's Roses, and I'm scratching my head wondering, how have people not heard of Ryan's Roses? But evidently, a lot of people have not heard of Ryan's Roses. So here's the premise. Someone calls Ryan Seacrest and says, I suspect my significant other's cheating on me. Ryan Seacrest says, well, let me help you out. We'll, we'll see if we can get to the bottom of whether that's true or not. And then he has one of his team members call the alleged cheater and here's the premise of, of the call. Uh, the lady says, my name's so-and-so. I just opened a new florist in town. I'm just randomly calling people uh, to give them free roses in hopes that in the future you'll use my business or refer me to someone. And um, so you, if you're interested, you have a free dozen roses. Is there anyone you'd like to send them to? And that's when... The fool speaks up and says, yes, uh, please write this on the note. Dear Sally, our rendezvous last weekend was so much fun. I can't wait to do it again. And then Ryan Seacrest says, hey, uh, this is Ryan Seacrest. You're on Ryan's Roses. Uh, your real wife is on the line. She suspected you were cheating, and now she knows. And so this call happens, I think it's, probably not daily, but maybe once a week, for years. These guys are just stumbling into this Ryan's Roses plot and getting caught. Now, I, I know the world is under the sway of the wicked one. I'm not under the delusion that, that everybody's even trying to live properly. But as time goes on, I'm... I'm just 
a little more surprised, I'm a little shocked at how many cheaters there are in this world. People who just, if they think they can get away with it, they'll do it. If they think that they won't get caught, because that's, that's the standard. It's not, is it right or wrong? It's, will I get caught or can I get away with it? And so, um, I don't know, I guess some people view marriage as a diet. You know, in a diet, you have a cheat day. But that's not how marriages work, right? You don't get a cheat day in a marriage. A marriage is very serious. And we're going to be looking at the story of Hosea in the book of Hosea today. Just high-level view of that, uh, that prophet's life and how it relates to Israel and how it all relates to us. If you're here today and you've been cheated on, then you will be able to relate to this story. And you'll be able to relate to God in a way that some of us can't or haven't been able to. There are, there are depths of pain that you can only know if you've experienced something similar. And God asks Hosea, this 8th century prophet, to not only speak to a wicked nation that has been cheating on God, he asks Hosea to go out and marry a prostitute and to know firsthand what it's like to be cheated on. And so Hosea goes out and finds a wife, and her name is Gomer. And it's a story of um, unfaithfulness, her unfaithfulness to him and him knowing that when he got married and he has to go back and get her again because she keeps straying. I look at stories like this and I scratch my head in the Bible, you know, that God would ask someone to do something like this. Uh, but the story's been there for hundreds of years now, and we've been reading it for a long time. And if you read Hosea, you, you can feel not only Hosea's pain, you can feel God's pain. Because God came out right up front. He said, I'm a jealous God. No other gods before me. I am a jealous God. I don't share very well. And when God's people stray... The Bible calls that adultery. The word adultery is used because God views his relationship with us as like a marriage. That, that we entered into a covenant relationship where he promised to be our God and we promised to be his people. And when we cease acting like his people, uh, the prophets use words like adulterers and adulteresses. In Hosea chapter 1 and verse 2, the story starts off pretty quick. When the Lord began to speak to Hosea, or by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of harlotry. Not exactly the website you or I would go to, harlotry.com, to find a spouse. And children of harlotry. For 
Here's the reason why I want you to do this. The land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. And so it is a story really of God and Israel and the unfaithfulness of Israel towards God. In Hosea chapter 2, we find out that God does view this as a marriage relationship. When he says, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. God's not giving them a wedding ring as a symbol of his love. He's giving them something far greater. He's going to treat them with mercy and loving kindness and justice and righteousness. They will know by the way God takes care of them that he's faithful. That he means business when he says, I love you and I, I want to be in this covenant relationship with you. You get to Hosea chapter 3, and by this time in the story, Hosea has already married Gomer, and she has already taken off. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, The Lord said to me, Go again, and love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel who look to other gods. And the text goes on to say, and enjoy their raisin cakes. When I first saw Hosea 3 and verse 1, I remember thinking, is that what drew you away from the Lord? Other gods who had raisin cakes? And yet, I look today at what pulls people away from God, Christ, the church, and it's nothing fancier than raisin cakes. Hey, have you been to the big community church down the way? Have you heard the singing? Have you been down to the church down this way? They're raffling off an iPad this week. Have you been down to the church over here? They've got a full breakfast buffet every Sunday. I, I, I know people. I have relatives. I have in-laws on the other side of the country who go to church because they know where the potlucks are and who's hosting them when, and that's where they go. They're drawn by the free food, literally. Where are we going today? I don't know. Look at the calendar, Ma. Who's got a potluck today? Go again. Love a woman. Uh, some translations say, love the woman. The NIV does uh, a little commentary here. It says, show your love to your wife again. Because most, not all, but most commentators agree that God is not asking Hosea to just go find another wife of harlotry. He's actually asking him to go and get Gomer again. And the very next verse seems to support that thought because now Hosea has to redeem her with money and, and goods. 
Because not only has she gone off and left him, she's now finding herself in a position where she's not free to leave. I don't know if you want to call it a, a, an ancient sex trade type situation, but nothing's free. So in exchange for food, clothing, shelter, whatever, she now is not free to go, and he has to redeem her. He has to buy her back. A very Christian theme, a very uh, a major theme of the Bible that God is willing to take a people who are not faithful and go and bring them back again and again. You can feel the frustration in chapter 6 and verse 4. Oh, Ephraim, what shall I do to you? That's northern Israel, Ephraim. Oh, Judah, you're not exempt down there in the south. What shall I do to you? For your faithfulness is like a morning cloud. And like the early dew, it goes away. Your faithfulness is just like a morning cloud or the early dew. I was um, golfing with my neighbor the other day, uh, Friday. And I love the morning dew because after I take a really bad shot and there's just dirt all over my club. Reuben, you don't know what that's like. You're probably a good golfer. I can use that morning dew to clean off my club. But as the day wears on, the sun comes out. And by the way, over there at El Prado, hole number 10, it still says Chino Church of Christ on the bench. That's still there. And it's neat. I like playing there because I'm able to tell whoever I'm playing with, hey, look, start off a little conversation there. But the idea of morning dew is that Israel's faithfulness was not lasting. In fact, it didn't last very long at all. People today, you see sometimes they just drift away. They're gone weeks, months, maybe even longer than months. And then out of the blue, they wander in, no explanation. And of course, we're glad to see them. So we always say, wow, it's so good to see you again. And we try to encourage I've got a prayer request. I'm going through something tough. That's why I'm here. God, my old hot water bottle, draw him close when I need him. We help where we can. We pray for folks. And then sometimes they're gone again. Weeks, months. Sometimes it's not as obvious. Hosea 11 and verse 7 he says, my people are just bent on backsliding. They just, are they, I'm not sure if they're wired that way. I'm not sure what's going on, but they're just bent on backsliding from me. Though they call to the Most High, of course, people still want God to bless them, do great things for them. Though they call to the Most High, none at all exalt him. You and I. Even if we're at home keeping attendance, look how good I am. I went to Bible class. I went to worship. I went to evening service. That's extra credit if you go to evening service. Wednesday night, man, you're really aiming for heaven, aren't you? 
Sometimes it's not so easy to tell in a person's life. Of course, God knows, but attendance isn't always the measuring stick. We have to be careful that we don't treat this Christianity like a diet. Where we have cheat days, where we backslide. We have to be very vigilant. In a marriage, you have to be, you have to try. You have to work at it. You have to be constantly aware of your spouse, their needs, their wants, your relationship. It's a lot of work. And if you want it to work, you have to put in the, the work. Hopefully with God, we see this relationship like a marriage. That's how God's viewing it. And hopefully we're always mindful of God and God's desires and what God wants from us. And we're always working at it. Because backsliding is just not as strong as the word used before. God sees it as adultery, as cheating. When we sang the song earlier, uh, The Love of God, I think it was the third stanza. I made a quick note here because it really um, hit home with me as I was thinking of this lesson. The stanza says this, We His glory must reflect lest our dimness and neglect keep some soul from its God. The reason that struck a chord with me is because if Jim Lloyd backslides, if Jim Lloyd decides Christianity isn't as important, it's not number one, just for a week, just for a month. I've got some other really important things, God. For me to fail and become dim and neglectful might just mean some soul not hearing the gospel or me not being impactful for God when God expects me to be impactful. The reason Jesus cursed the fig tree is because it was the time of year when that fig tree should have been producing and it was not producing. And so judgment is coming. Hosea says it's coming. His fellow prophets, Elijah, Elisha, Amos, they all said it's coming. If you don't repent, it's coming. And that's really the key. They wouldn't repent. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets, God said. I have slain them by my words, by the words of my mouth. And your judgments are like light that goes forth. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. What's he saying there? I mean, God commanded sacrifice. He commanded burnt offerings. And guess what? They're giving him that. They're still praying to the Most High. They're still showing up at the temple on Saturdays with their sacrifice and burnt offerings. But they're not God's people. They're not God's people Sunday to Friday. They don't live as God would have them to live. They've neglected the weightier matters of the law. I'd rather 
not have you just going through the motions, in other words. God's desire is for them to be people of substance. And of course, Hosea is where we get that famous verse in chapter 4 and verse 6. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. It's amazing to me that in 2020, we've got Bibles everywhere. Everywhere. They're in every pew. They're in all of your homes. They're in hotel rooms, thanks to the Gideons. You can go to any Goodwill, and there's a bunch of used Bibles. They're everywhere. Bibles are everywhere, but they're not read. They're not read. My people, this, this is Israel. They had the law. It's not that they didn't have the law, but they didn't know it. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being priests from me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. That's the God we serve. He's not, um, he's not going to count to ten. The consequences are great for the cheater. For the backslider, for the adulterer, to use Hosea's language. And the consequences of you and I neglecting God's law reach into the next generation. They will impact our children. A few quick lessons, I think, for us to take away. First of all, as sad as this book is, the beauty of this story is that God chose us. Even straying backsliders we are and he loves us like a bride Romans 5 picks up on this theme very beautifully that Christ died for the ungodly verse 8 while we were sinners Christ died for us Romans 5 and verse 10 when we were enemies we were reconciled so it's not that Oh, I guess I'm just not good enough. I'll never be good enough to be a Christian. That's not it at all. God is willing to marry us in all of our brokenness, in all of our sinfulness, if we will enter into that relationship with him and promise to be faithful. Forget your past. If you're willing to be faithful now, God is willing to exchange vows and be faithful to you. It is amazing that God would love and choose people like us. Lesson number two, Israel in this instance would perish. God would cast them off. The Assyrians would take them captive and they would never return to their land again. That land was taken over by Samaritans and several other groups. They had sown the wind, and they would reap the whirlwind, Hosea 8 and verse 7. And so the days of their punishment, Hosea says, have come, chapter 9 and verse 7. The key, though, I think, is chapter 11 and verse 5. The reason Assyria is coming and the reason all of this is going bad is because they would not repent. Prophet after prophet Year after year passed. God gave them lots of time. 
but they would not repent. So final lesson for us from Hosea this morning is that God loves us. Don't cheat on him. It's a very New Testament message that in Ephesians 5, you and I, as members of the church, are called the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. This marriage analogy is all throughout Scripture, but listen to Ephesians 5, uh, just a couple verses, verse 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. But that's not the end. That he might sanctify and cleanse her. Why did God pick us? Brides that couldn't fit into our dresses? Why would God pick us? Because... He was going to sanctify us, cleanse us with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her, that's us, to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. You know something beautiful about a wedding? Now, I know not all weddings go to this extent. Some are quick and at a courthouse. Some are drive through by Elvis in Las Vegas. But the big wedding where the bride spends all that money on a dress and pays someone to do her hair and makeup. And before the wedding starts, she's in a room with her bridesmaids and it's a special occasion, and she's, got, she's gone through all the, the trouble of having something borrowed, something blue, something whatever, something new, old, new, yeah. She's done all that. And she's gone to great detail and expense to pick out food and the cake. And if you've been a part of a big wedding, you know it's a lot of work, and it's a lot of money. And the expectation, because that's not American, that's global. Weddings, what the importance of a wedding, the lengths people go for weddings, and the money people spend on weddings, that's universal from, you know, that's global, and it goes way back. And God evidently saw that and said, that's the perfect analogy for how I view the church. I want the church to be a bride whose clothes are without wrinkle and without spot and without blemish and a bride who is all done up in a glorious way to be presented to Christ himself. And because he's talking about us, the message is for you and I to live lives that are worthy of a marriage, a covenant relationship with Christ and with God. And we dare not backslide or cheat because it's viewed as a very serious offense. I close with 
A reading from Revelation 19, verse 7. Rejoice, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of God's saints. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage feast of the Lamb. If you read the parables of Luke 14, you'll see we are all called to the marriage feast of the Lamb. The fancy folks were invited and they were too busy. Remember? Oh, I just bought a plot of land. I must see it. Oh, I just got married. I must attend to a honeymoon. Oh, I just... All the excuses. And that's when God says, go out and invite everyone. Whosoever will may come. That's where we get that, that statement from. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage feast of the Lamb. Are you a Christian this morning? You've been invited to the greatest wedding feast ever. You're actually invited to be the bride, part of the bride. And the marriage is to the faithful Son of God, Jesus Christ. It is a serious thing to cheat in a marriage. It is a serious offense to cheat on God in that relationship as well. Have you entered that relationship? The invitation is always open, but as we sing the invitation song, if you're here today and you believe Jesus is the Son of God, and you believe and know that by believing in him, by repenting of your sins, by confessing him as Lord, and by being baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, you can then be added to the church and be a part of the bride of Christ. If you're at that point in your life now and you're ready to come forward, we invite you to come while we stand and while we sing.